you are listening to Black Star Docs, a collective of female physicians of African descent coming together to share knowledge from our various medical specialties as well as from life. Listen in as we have real and relatable discussions on health, wellness, and lifestyle in a way only us ladies can do. Follow us on Instagram at Black Star Docs and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Cheers! I do get that a lot with um, when the patients initially see the MAs, they don't necessarily tell them their maybe STD history. And then when they get in the room with me and I go over it all over again, then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I did have chlamydia like when I was a teenager. So they just kind of assume that I don't need to know that. So they, they don't tell the MA that until I ask them again. So we, you know, we are not going to give your information to anyone else. We are using that information to help you. So please let us know everything that's gone on with you in, in the past. And I think what Dr. Bernice said is, is just right on update your medication list. But if you can't or don't know how to, if all else fails, just bring in all your bottles. I mean, this morning, I literally had to stop one medication of a patient because she was taking the same thing. She'd been starting on something by the ER doctor that was a combination pill. So it increased her regular dose and added something else, but she didn't know. So she was taking her old medicine with it at the same time. So it's important to either update your list or bring everything in. But to add to that, if you've been to any specialist or been hospitalized or seen the ER docs since your last visit, you want to bring all of that up so that we can go and get those records and review them. Because oftentimes, let's say you went to the ER because you hurt your knee. Well, you're so focused on that knee you know, and all the pain that you had that you missed that they told you you've got a tumor right below the knee. And so being able to tell us that so we can get that information and say, hey, we actually need to follow up with imaging because this was what was found last time. Or, hey, did you realize that they increased the dose of your medicine and this is what you're supposed to be taking now and not the old stuff that we prescribed? So part of your past history also involves any hospitalizations, ER visits, or specialist visits that you may have had. Yes, and th- that's very important. We, we see people in the emergency room, and we always tell them the caveat of everything that we did here is that you follow up with your doctor, your primary doctor, let them know what we did, let them know what medicines you were started on so that it inc- they can include that in your healthcare plan. And sometimes I tell people, if you, f- you, you may forget, you know, like Dr. Sarah said, you are so focused on the pain that you forgot something important, bring somebody else. How do you guys tackle that? Are you okay with when a patient brings somebody else to the appointment to maybe remind them if they're nervous and can't remember anything? How do you handle that in your clinic, Dr. Bernice? Well, a patient advocate is, you know, extremely, extremely important, especially for patients who have mental health disorders. So let's say someone who is actively manic, you know, or psychotic, and so not able to truly advocate for themselves, patients with dementia. But in general, it's it's not a bad idea. Now, I do want to mention that because of COVID, a lot of offices have kind of changed their policies. So you may see a clinic or two where, or a few clinics are only allowing the patient to come in But I do know that at least in our clinic, we make exceptions for people who really do need someone there for them. 
Yeah, that's the same in our clinic as well. Yeah, it's it's really important. And even in the demographic that I work in, especially in California, we do see a lot of Spanish speaking patients. So on top of that, you know, if you have a patient that does not speak English, sometimes you do, you may need a, a family member. Most of our MAs speak Spanish, but sometimes uh, the elderly patients may not necessarily understand or, you know, they may not even necessarily know what they have. So it's really important that if they come with a family member that also speaks English, that they can help explain everything to us as well. And your doctors are not opposed to somebody being in there. That's good to know. Yes. So talking about COVID, somebody mentioned that right now, the big bad wolf. How is COVID affecting your practice? A video, how are the video appointments going? Is there something that we should all kind of get used to? Well, it looks like video visits are definitely here to stay. You know, I think they're helpful, you know, in helping us keep our patients safe. But there are some conditions that do need to be seen in the office. And for sure, a physical, which is, you know, a complete head-to-toe exam, is best done when you're in person. Um, But there definitely is a role for, you know, video visits. If you've got a cough or cold, It most definitely is going to be a video visit. If we determine that we need to see you in person, we make special arrangements so that we can see you in a place where if we do run into COVID, we're not exposing other people. And so, yeah, what is it looking like for you guys? I know for me, we have, you know, been doing a combination of both in-person and video visits. So again, if it's something like you said, if it's a cold, if it's likely a urinary tract infection, a lot of these things, we may do it over video visit. We'll send you to the lab. But for me right now, I think I'm seeing a lot of patients in clinic. But if I just saw you, let's say last month, and you have you know something come up, I'll just say, let's do a video visit unless it needs to be examined. A lot of skin conditions, we can do it over video visits as well, you know, be able to look at the skin and send you a prescription for whatever it is. So So it's going to be a combination. So a physical exam or a first-time visit may not be a good idea to do a video, but for the most part, a follow-up, patients can utilize that modality too. Yes. And I want to emphasize a stable follow-up, you know, so Mm -hmm. if everything is well controlled Mm -hmm. and you're Mm -hmm. good, that if we're decompensating and things mm-hmm. are getting bad, you know, somebody's got to touch your mm-hmm. belly, listen to your heart, mm-hmm. listen yes. to your lungs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me as an OBGYN, we definitely do a combination as well, seeing in, in person as well as doing the televisits because on the OB side, obviously, you know, we want to make sure that we're hearing the baby's heartbeat every time they come. Sometimes we have had to see patients over televisit and maybe that's because they, they have COVID, for example. But for the most part, we're seeing our pregnant patients in person. Again, like Sarah said, if, you know, someone on the gyne side maybe has pelvic pain, then they definitely need to come in to be evaluated. I can't diagnose anything over a televisit. So those kind of examinations, uh, patients do definitely need to come in. So that's really important. Yeah, good to know. This Dr. Bernese, do you have anything to add? Yeah. So I know that a lot of people are scared to go to their doctor's office because of they don't want to contract COVID. Just be rest assured that we're taking all the necessary precautions with cleaning down, wiping down. Everybody's being screened before they come into all these facilities. We're doing temperature checks. One thing I wanted to say, please do not lie when you go through those screenings. If you're having a cough, if you're having a fever, 
don't lie. We're not going to abandon you. You may not come into the clinic, but we'll follow up with a video call and check on you and see what's going on and diagnose you that way so you don't expose other people to, you know, potential COVID virus that you may be carrying. So it's it's very important that we all do our part, but don't be scared. If you're having chest pain, don't be scared to call the ear. Don't be scared to call the ambulance. Don't be scared to dial 911. We don't want, because you're so scared of COVID, that's something that can be easily managed. And you know, um, Dr. Cote, right? The ER, you guys have are still taking care of people who have all the different things that are going on, having, you know, chest pain and all those still exist. There's still people having cardiac issues. There's still people having strokes. COVID did not take that away. So if that, you know, you have any issues, please do not hesitate to see your doctor. Absolutely. Right. And I, I will be remiss if I didn't get on my soapbox right now, since we're talking about COVID and remind people to keep wearing their mask. When you're going to your appointment, make sure you're wearing your mask all the time. Okay. And please let it be over your nose, please. <laughs> Listen, we can have a whole podcast about how people are showing up wearing their mask. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And even forgetting to put the mask on when the doctor comes into the room, except for the right. fact that I feel like you probably should keep it on the whole time, because if you're spreading your germs in the room, then it defeats the purpose. Yes, please keep so it just on. keep the mask the whole time. But some, <laughs> I walk in and they had the mask off and now they got to put the mask on. So you guys, I had a patient the other day. He had five masks on. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was so proud of I didn't want to discourage him, so I didn't say anything, but yeah, I was laughing behind my mask. <laughs> Sorry, let him put everything on, you know? You know, more is better. I think now we're saying double mask if you can, but he was taking no chances. I counted, he had five. <laughs> oh. That's good. That means uh, taking very good care and taking all the precautions that they need exactly. to. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I do want to pivot a little bit because I'd forgotten to touch on an, an issue that I had wanted to bring up since we have Dr. Marsha on the phone and she's our OBGYN specialist. Dr. Marsha, I got several questions um, ahead of this um, podcast regarding pups, um, pup smears and pelvic exams. So could you talk a little bit about that and then maybe also talk to our listeners about how do you get ready for it? I've had questions that pertain to People being a little bit embarrassed or shy about how the vaginal area smells down there or what kind of uh, discharges that they may not they're a little bit anxious about. So it's really important to, for patients to understand or for women specifically to understand what a pap smear is versus what a pelvic exam is because a lot of times patients think that if they're having a pelvic exam for whatever reason, it could be because of pelvic pain. It could be because they came in specifically talking about abnormal discharge or um, they want to be screened for sexually transmitted diseases. They think that they're automatically getting a pap. So I do want to explain that, you know, when you, first of all, when you're coming to the GYN visit and you know you're going to have a pelvic exam or a pap smear, generally there's not a lot of preparation that needs to be done, Okay. The main thing is, yeah, you want to be maybe clean, right? But it doesn't mean that you need to douche beforehand. And it doesn't mean that you have to avoid uh, the pap smear if you've had intercourse or, you know, if you feel like you have a discharge, that's the best time to come because we're going to figure out what's going on. So they don't need to be embarrassed if there's an odor, because if you have a concern about that, this, this is the time to come in and, and ask me about that. Absolutely. So, 
yeah, so that's that's one thing. And then in terms of you know the pap smear, the pap smear is very important for uh, preventative care in women. It's the cervical cancer screening, and the pap smear essentially is checking for abnormal cells of the cervix. The cervix is the bottom part of the uterus or the womb, and it's the top part of the vagina. And the reason why we do pap smears is because there is the, vi the virus, human papillomavirus, that is transmitted sexually and can cause precancer, cancer, and genital warts of, of the vaginal area or and the cervix. So it's really important that patients come to get this screening. Again, like I said, you don't have to avoid coming if you've had intercourse. You don't even necessarily have to avoid coming if you're on your period. If you're maybe on a light day, for example, if it's the end of your period, you can always come because the new PAPs, the sure PAPs are able to capture the cells. Um, and, if, and if it doesn't, then we'll just repeat the PAP another time when you're not on your period. So one of the things I do want to explain to patients is that, you know, for women, just because you're sexually active doesn't mean you need to get a pap smear. Pap smears are recommended to start at the age of 21. And the reason for that is because young women, um, the risk for cervical cancer is very low and the human papillomavirus infection is very temporary. It, it, it's very fleeting, it comes and goes. So a lot of patients assume that they need to have a pap smear if they've been sexually active, but unless you have any major medical issues or you know you feel like something's going on, if you're mostly healthy, that starts at 21. And most people think that they still need to get a pap smear every year, but there have been some new guidelines. And generally for the most part, it's about every three years if you are you don't have any abnormal PAPs and you're pretty healthy. Wow, this is all good information. Thank you for sharing. And you know what? I, lots of women get distressed, especially in the ER about this, where they're using creams and soaps and solutions, shaving the area, just concerned about what it's going to look and smell down there before coming. So thank you for um, uh, encouraging us to come in and, and to put those things, those concerns to rest so we can get our PAP smears. Dr. Sarah? Dr. Marsha, do women need to shave before they come for their pap smears? No, they don't. They don't. They do not need to shave. A lot of times, so that's really funny because a lot of times when patients come to me, they're always saying, "Oh, I'm so embarrassed. You know, I didn't groom myself. You know," and I'm like, "Do not be embarrassed." Okay, number one, a lot of times shaving down there is more of a preference, but it's actually as a gynecologist, it's actually recommended to have a little bit of pubic hair because it's protective. It's protective to prevent certain bacteria from getting into the vagina. So mm. patients should not be concerned if they were not able to shave. We will get around that. That's not an issue. Now, maybe if you have a lesion that you want me to see, you might want to shave that area so I can actually see it. But in general, it's not necessary for the pap smear or the pelvic exam. Okay, thank you. Dr. Marsha, I have a feeling that we're going to get a lot of feedback on this topic. We may have to bring you back again for specific questions. This is very interesting. Yes. And, <laughs> and also what you said about creams and placing, uh, you know, things to kind of make it smell good. A lot of patients don't understand that a lot of these feminine hygiene products actually will change the vaginal environment. And there is a balance of good bacteria. There's a balance of, of there's also some bad bacteria in the vagina. So sometimes when you're putting these creams or douching with vinegar products and things of that nature, it will change your vaginal environment and it will cause infections. So it's really important to come in and ask questions about, you know, what you can do to keep the area clean, but not necessarily have to make it smell like a flower. 
<laughs> okay. So these these products can be used, but they're not meant to be used all the time, you know. Exactly. Okay. Whew. This was a lot of information, doctors, to cover. I am so thankful that you could join me today. And so I think we've covered enough stuff that we've come to the end of this podcast. We've talked about their appointments, what to do before, what to do when you're in it. And uh, maybe briefly, if you guys wanted to talk a little bit about what happens afterwards, do we just go home and stay home or what do we do? Follow up appointments? What do that look like? So we can make sure we're keeping this relationship going. Well, after your appointment, your doctor will, you know, based on whatever, if there was anything else, any abnormality that was found, your doctor will recommend a follow-up. So for instance, if your blood sugar was high and, you know, you're pre-diabetic, you know, we'll discuss working on diet and exercise and coming back within the next three months to see how your sugars are. If, you know, you actually have full-blown diabetes, you know, we'll start on, on medication sometimes. It depends on, you know, we may say, hey, let's try diet and exercise. If that, this does not improve within the next three months, we may have to discuss medications. For our healthy patients, you know, we may not see you again for another year for an actual physical, but if you have any ailments or anything come up, we always ask that you call us and let us know. A lot of people think, oh, because they told me to follow up in one year, that means they don't want to see me again. No, that's quite, you know, contrary. We do want to see you. You just have to reach out to us if you, you know, you're healthy. But for those who really need follow-ups, we'll let you know you come in and you see us. But make sure that you take the advice of your doctor seriously and do what is discussed, follow the treatment plan. You know, we, you work with me and I'll work with you so that we are successful in reaching our goals. But one thing I wanted to touch on is that as um, you know, both men and women, make sure, make sure, make sure you advocate for yourself. If you do need a well woman exam, if you do need a well man exam, you know, find a doctor and go see one. Don't let anybody tell you that, you know, you don't need to be seen by a doctor for a pap smear. Don't let somebody discourage you and tell you that, oh, you're trying to find something. Because I do know of a person who had gone, this is back home in Ghana, who had gone to get a pap smear and was told that she's trying to look for something that is not there. You know, you have only one life. So, and your health is in your hands. So make sure that you're getting all the screenings. Talk to your doctor, discuss with your doctor, ask your doctor. When should I come in, you know, to be screened for this and that? Develop a relationship with your doctor, and it's just when you're sick. Amen. Amen. And, you know, some people think it's just a way for, you know, the doctors to collect money or the insurance to collect money, but it's not. Pay attention to your health and go see your doctor, not just when issues pop up, but just routinely. So, you know, somebody's in touch with you. Dr. Sarah, did you have anything to add? You know, I, I want to reemphasize, you know, what Dr. Bernice said advocate for yourself, make sure that you're going in for those wellness visits. Do not let anyone tell you that you don't need one, especially, you know, back home, I think in Ghana, we didn't grow up going to see the doctor once a year. We only show up when we're sick, you know, um, but there's a problem in that because, you know, there, there are certain things that if you pick up early, you can prolong life. You can prolong quality of life. Um, so it's good. And and also, you know, a lot can change in a short period of time. I'll I'll share, like I'll end with this story. I, I had a friend recently who 
ended up in the hospital. She'd gotten COVID a few months ago and she's young like me, just wasn't recovering like she should, very short of breath. And um, she went to the hospital. Um, she, she came to see us, was really bad. We had to actually call the ambulance to take her to the hospital. But by the time she got to the ER, everything looked fine. But the ER doc is like, you know, I called to follow up. I served as her advocate with the ER doc. And he said, oh, you know, everything came back fine here. She walked around. She didn't look like she was going to pass out. You know, her labs looked good, except for her usual anemia of eight. So I called my friend. I was like, hey, do you have anemia? Because last time I checked, you got too much energy. I mean, before this, too much energy to have anemia. Mm -hmm. She goes, not that I know of, but you know what saved her? She had a physical three months ago. And so we were able to go into her chart and look at her labs. And her hemoglobin was, I mean, in normal range. So within three months, something had happened and she dropped by six points. And oh, wow. having that information was the difference between sending her home versus keeping her in the hospital to figure out what was going on. You see, if she hadn't had her physical, we wouldn't have that information to know that something had acutely happened. And so, you know, the management was completely different. So get your physicals. Which is very important that you guys can serve as a liaison between the emergency room doctors when the patient has an acute illness so that we can, you know, like you said, address the, the right things that we need to address when they come to see us in the emergency room, even if they're perhaps feeling a little bit better at that point. So yeah, thank you. Dr. Marsha, do you have anything you want to add before we sign off? Yeah, and then just to um, add to that, uh, what Dr. Sarah said in terms of, you know, making sure you're going regularly because things can be caught early. That's the same thing with the pap smear. A lot of times some people feel if they're healthy, or even for, for my field, for women, they're, they're, if they're not pregnant, they're not necessarily showing up to see me. So <laughs> the big thing about the pap smear is that the pap smear is supposed to catch things early, right? So if you're getting your pap smears regularly every two to three years, this is how we're going to catch something early before if you show up 10 years later from your last pap, it doesn't end up being pre-cancer or cancer. So it's really important to come and even though I say the past year now is every three years, we still want to see our patients on a yearly basis, basis to do the pelvic exam and to do the breast exam and everything. Because if I see something with my eye that looks unusual to me, I may do your past year a little bit early. So it's really important that even though the past years now are every three years, you should come on a yearly basis so we can do these preventative tests and catch things early before they get to their worst. Dr. Marshall. To find out some, just to kind of, some women to uh, get in pap smears five years, right? And I understand if you have an HPV testing, then you can have it five years, right? Yeah, so the, the, the reason behind that is, so generally the pap smear itself, there's two parts. For young women less than 30, they're just getting the pap smear, which is just looking for the abnormal cells. And depending on what kind of abnormal cells might be caught, then they might reflect that to getting the HPV. Getting that HPV will then kind of triage to whether we need to just repeat the PAP again in a year or if it's present, considering doing a biopsy. Now, for women over 30, you can get the PAP to just check for the abnormal cells, but also in addition, also checking the HPV. That's supposed to be done together for women over 30 up until 65. So when you do that together, 
knowing whether your HPV status, if you're HPV negative, the risk for cervical cancer is very low. So you can, you know, push out your PAP to about five years. I know a lot of people are apprehensive about that length. So I still get patients coming in every two to three years to get the PAP. So again, that's going to be a conversation with your, your doctor, whether you should, you know, get it more frequently or not. But yes, if you're getting the PAP and the HPV screening, and it's negative, you can't push it out to every five years. And especially if you don't have any history of any abnormal pap smears. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, doctor. This has been a lot of helpful information. And even for me as a physician, I'm definitely learned a lot today. Uh, we can go on and on, but um, I think we'll end here and we'll shelve the conversation for a later time. It might be us five coming back. It might be some other of our teammates on the Black Star Doc, but we will definitely come back to continue this primary care series with more of your questions. I would like to thank Dr. Bernice Adujemfi, Dr. Sarah Ashite, and Dr. Sarah Araba Madison for being here with us today um, to discuss and, and go through these topics. I'd like to invite all of you to um, join us on our social media platforms on our Facebook, Twitter, and, and Instagram at Black Star Docs. And so we can continue this conversation. And until we see you, this has been the Black Star Doctor signing off. And bye for now.